I'd like to read one text tonight, a very well-known text. It's found uh, in the New Testament part of your Bible in 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15. We're going to read really just maybe one verse here in 1 Corinthians 15. We're going to read verse 3. First Corinthians 15 and verse 3. I usually just mention what verse 1 says here because that's where we get the word I'd like to talk about tonight and really what our meeting is called tonight. It says here, Paul says in verse 1, we'll just mention it briefly. He says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, the gospel which I preached unto you and which also you have received. And then if you just look down at verse 3, he says here, I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins. How that Christ died for our sins. Um, just in preparation for the meeting tonight, um, sometimes you're looking uh, just for different ways and different ways to approach the meeting tonight. And uh, Matt gave me this, uh, this, this story or that. It's a, it's a true story. You can look up when you get home. Uh, and it was Jack Welsh, the uh, CEO of GE or former CEO of GE. Most people would be familiar with him. The CEO of a, a multi-million dollar industry for, for multiple decades. And he was interviewed by Dan Rather on 60 Minutes. And Dan Rather asked Mr. Welsh, what is the most difficult question that has ever been posed to you? Now, this is a CEO of a multi, multi-million dollar international company. What is the most difficult question that has ever been posed to you in all your days? He said, I was asked one time, am I going to heaven? Mr. Rowder said, what did you answer? Mr. Wells said, he goes, well, the answer was long which was his first mistake. And then he said, I told the man who asked me that, he said, I've done my best to do as much good at as many times to as many people. He said, I've been divorced a couple times. He goes, I'm not proud of that. He goes, but I have sought to do as good and as much good as I can do. He goes, I'm in no rush to get to heaven. He goes, and I'm in no rush to find out if that is the right answer. Are you going to be in heaven? Tell me, how long is the answer? How long is the answer to get to heaven? I ask people sometimes more so than not. I I ask them a lot. Are you going to heaven? And a lot of times the answer starts out the same way Mr. Welsh's answer started out. And it starts with that pronoun, I. And I've done as much good, and I have nothing against good people, because the world is filled with lousy people. I would give anything for ten more good people on my street in my town. Nothing against good people. But I'm talking about a different place now, heaven. And when I'm thinking about that, you say, what are my chances of being there? And when people ask me how I pick a verse to speak on in the Bible, I say this. I just pick a verse, and then I make a beeline for the cross. Because if you don't have the cross, you're not going to heaven. If you don't have Christ, what are your chances? My passport to the realms of bliss is this. Jesus died for me. Nothing else. If I had done no good in my life, and to be honest, I haven't. And if I had nothing to, to, to merit, no honor, no boasting, if I had nothing to give, if I was the wretch of wretches, God has said, Christ died for my sins. 
You know, make no qualms about it. That's the answer. If I were to ask you tonight, what are the chances you'll be in heaven? There is the possibility you could turn from what I have done and just turn to what Christ has done. And that's all I'd like to get you to do tonight because I just want to talk about this, uh, uh, the gospel, and and take a look at some of the things maybe that that Paul mentioned here, uniquely put as he talks about it in in, in this sense. Uh, We often say the gospel. What does it mean? We say it means good news. Good news. Uh, And that's unique because... um, if you're like me, you, you pick up the post in the morning there. I, I go in the morning to the supermarket every morning, and, and, and I'm too cheap to buy it. So I just flip through it right on the counter there, right? And you get what you need. You find out if the Yankees won. You flip to the back page, the front page. That's it, right? You tear out a couple coupons if you're really that bad, right? But you leave it there for a buck fifty or $2, whatever it is. You read through the news this week, and what are you left wondering? Uh, you're left wondering why people down in Venezuela can't find food, and why the rulers don't care. And you're, you're left wondering why there's no medical help in Syria, and no one seems to matter there. And you're wondering why the North Koreans are, are, are firing nuclear warheads, and, and for what reason? And, and then after the 4th of July, you think, maybe just one good day of good news, you find out that a mother of three, a police officer, Officer Familia, was just shot assassinated in her car for no apparent reason. And the soul longs for good news. It longs for it. And the newspaper, the good news is, is, is so, it's so, it's just such a pity. The, the good news is nothing compared to what is just default news. Bad news. And I come to the gospel and it tells me this is good news. And so I would just ask you, if you're looking to be forgiven of your sins, and no one's born that way. And if you're looking with peace with God, we often say they make peace with... No one makes peace with God. God makes peace with sinners. If you're looking with peace with God, if you're looking for forgiveness of sins, if you're looking for an absolute guarantee that you'll be in heaven, I want you to take what you have and just stack it up against this. Is it good news? I often speak to a lot of children, and if I was speaking to kids like this, I would start to walk down the aisle, and I would start, I won't do it, and I would start to ask individuals, and I would say, good news, because kids know what good news is, right? That's easy to tell uh, right away, and I, say to, I would look at one kid, and I would say to him, uh, if I told you you had to pray from now till December 20th to get to heaven, would you do it, and would it be good news? You know, the kid kind of looks around at his parents, like, should I answer yes or no to this, you know? And then you ask the next adult. Sometimes you go to the adults, because the adults get very blush when you ask them. I said, uh, Miss, sir, sir, if I told you I could guarantee you heaven if you walked from the GWB to the Mississippi River, would you do it? They won't answer you. I remember one kid in particular, he couldn't have been no older than 11. I said to him, if I said heaven was yours for $5,000, would you give it? And he goes, man, you're crazy. He goes, I'm just a kid. <laughs> I said, how much money do you have? He said, $5. I go, would you give me 5 if I could guarantee you heaven? No. Why not? Why not? Well, first of all, if heaven's yours for ten grand tonight, that's bad news. Because half the audience probably is cut out. If heaven's yours tonight, if you can walk from the GWB to the Mississippi River, guess what? We're not all going. If heaven's yours, if you can continue in prayer for 24 hours a day from now to December, guess what? It's bad news. It's bad news if that's the case. 
Because in each one of those instances you say, we cut people out. You cut people out. It's not good news. And yet, I would ask you tonight, what would you do to get to heaven? And I ask people that, and and people give me uh, uh, ideas that they've heard from churches, that they've heard from ministers, that they've read somewhere. It hasn't been in this book, because this book only gives one answer. And I say to them, what would you do to get there? If it's a real place, and we know it's real. When we look at people, when they go into the grave, we say, we know they are somewhere now. I don't know where, but I hope they're in a better place. We say that. And as a child is brought into the world, you can't hope but anything for that child than that death never visits them too early. And if it does, you hope that they're in a better place. But my friend, if you hope to be in heaven, and it's got to be based on good news, you tell me what's good news. Because if you need to do something, then that's awful news. And what would you give to get to heaven? I ask you this. Did God give everything when He gave His Son? I'd ask for a nod, but we're not a nodding audience. Did God give everything when He gave His Son? Yeah, He did. Have I asked you just to stand up and affirm tonight, did God give everything when He gave His Son? And I'm talking about everything. Everything He had, if He did, what do you have to add to it? What else are you going to give? What else are you going to put in that? God gave everything. Why are we still trying to be good? Why are we still trying to merit heaven? Heaven's heaven's not a reward for the righteous. Heaven's a gift for the guilty. Heaven's not a resume. It's a referral. And as far as I know, the Bible tells me to refer to one man. The one man who bore my sins. Christ. Calvary. And so Paul says, good news is this. Good news is not about what I can do. Good news has to encompass anyone. I had no idea who was going to walk into the tent tonight. No idea. In fact, I met people here tonight. I had no idea they were going to be here. Anyone could enter that tent and I could say to them, you can be in heaven because Christ died for your sins. They could leave the tent on their way to heaven. That's good news. That's the best of news. It doesn't get any better than that. The hymn writers have have gone to such stretches to tell us about this good news. I I think this morning uh, at our own fellowship, we were singing the great words of John Wesley there. And he says, Amazing love, how can it be that my God would die for me? Love's one thing. You know what changes just a regular kind of love to an amazing love? Is that the Bible tells me God loved me without a cause can't offer one cause for God to love you. Go ahead and try. Give God one reason to love me. If you do, please let me know. Because I'm on the brink of 34 years of age and I've yet to been able to give Him a reason to love me. But He did. Without a cause. He sent His Son to die for me at Calvary for my sins. Without a cause. It is an amazing love. And only to be mirrored in the fact of John Newton when he could write about an amazing grace. An amazing grace that saved a wretch like me. We sing those songs. We sing them often. There's maybe not a soul here who doesn't know the words to amazing grace. And you could have sung those words. And yet I would say to you, what are the chances you'll be in heaven? What are the chances that you will be there? And when it comes time for this, for salvation to be offered, it, it, it comes down to Paul says, this is good news that Christ died for our sins. It couldn't get any better than that. And I would just make the distinction tonight. I think it was a, an interview similar. I, I forget who it was with. It was a man named John MacArthur. He, he said this. He goes, there's just really two religions in life. 
He goes, there's religions that tell you what to do, and there's religions that tell you what is done. And and as it were, I, I could, on a Sunday evening in July, I could send you home tonight, and I could tell you, from, from Monday to Friday, do your alms, say your prayers, give it your best shot from Monday to Friday, and, and, and make the best stab, the best attempt that you know how to, to prove, to somehow assure yourself that you could be forgiven, that you could know this problem taken care of from Monday to Friday. And you may spend your whole life from Monday to Friday trying that, and yet I could just bring you to one Friday afternoon outside of Jerusalem, when a man died at 3 p.m. and he said, finished. And you know what he did? He took the word do out of heaven's dictionary and he replaced it with done. How about you? You say, Dave, you're just a confident type of person. I'm 100% sure I'm going to heaven tonight. 100% sure. You say, how sure are you that your sins are forgiven? I'm 100% sure that every sin I've ever committed, have committed, and will commit has been forgiven. 100%. 110. A thousand. You pick the number. You say, say, where does confidence like that come from? I have asked people, we had meetings in Livingston, I think it was just uh, four weeks ago or three weeks ago, and and there was a girl there, uh, not this year, it was last year, and and my friend Josh, who's a lot bolder than I was, he asked her, he goes, how confident are you that you'll be in heaven? And she said, 99.6%. I don't know where the six come from, but uh, usually we just go for the nine. I don't know where she got the six. Maybe just a little bit of timidity. If you saw Josh, he has an intimidation approach. I didn't say this, but I would have. He said it. The only people who get to heaven are 100%. The only people who ever get to the place where they pave the streets with gold are 100%. You say, that's not fair, Dave. That's not fair. That's just not right. You, you can't ask people, how in the world could you ever know if you had the one zero zero? How could you ever know if you went past the 90 or past the 95 or past the... How could you ever know that you had enough? How could you know that your basket was full, that your pockets were ready, that your bags were packed? How could you ever know in this life? Because it has nothing to do with you. I ask you again, if God gave everything, and He did, Is the Bible 100% accurate or 99.6% accurate? 100. Did Christ do 100% of the saving or did he do 99.6% of the saving? 100%. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. We sang it. I don't have to trust anything else but what Christ did. I need no other argument. I don't need anybody else to plead for me. I don't need you to pray for me when I'm done. I don't need you to offer up any sacrifice, light any candles. I don't need you to do anything because what was needed for me to be forgiven was accomplished on an April afternoon when Christ died for my sins. The Bible tells me so. So I'm not 100%. The Bible's 100%, but I'm resting on that. I'm guaranteed heaven. I, I, I meet people a lot and they tell me, what if I fail? What if I have not completed it? No one knows for sure. And I've talked to everyone. You say, I just want to be sure. I want to know that that, that I I got it all. That I I, I couldn't fail. That that, that somehow all that ends well is well. And, And we're so consumed with not failing God. We forget that God gave someone to die in our place. And the Bible says, He shall not fail doesn't matter if I fail. You know, I don't deserve to be saved. I don't deserve to be forgiven. I don't deserve 
what I have. And I won't deserve it a thousand years when I'm in heaven. I won't deserve it a million years after I've been in heaven. I will never deserve it. But God gave it because God gave His Son for me. You see, that's, that's the difference maker. It's, it's, it's just taking God at His word because the verse that we read said this, Christ died for our sins. And here's the clincher. It's according to this Bible. It's according to this Bible. That's my proof. That's my guarantee. So when it comes time to trust, when it comes time to say, can I be absolutely sure? Matt and I, I picked him up at Newark Airport yesterday at around 9 o'clock. That's gracious of him, right there, 9 o'clock. Everyone else here asking you to pick up 6 in the morning. We drove back there on MacArthur Highway, back right through. You see Seton Hall Law School, you see the Prudential Center, just as you're going back through Newark, and it's the fastest route back from Newark if you don't want to pay tolls. And, and, and as we were going there, you stop at the traffic and You might know them. There's all those car dealerships around. And, and it's cascaded with, with cars and people crossing the street. And I think it's Seton Hall Un- Law University right there. And there's a parking garage over here. And there was a man coming right down the center aisle of the, of the road there, a homeless guy. And he had a cup in one hand, no sign. He wasn't looking for anything to plead his cause. And he, he walked fast. Maybe he hadn't been doing it for a long time. Because sometimes they go slow. But he, he walked fast as though no one wanted to give him anything. And, and we rolled down our window. And, and there had just, you, you give him what you sometimes, maybe you take this as a rule of thumb. I'll tell you this now. Whatever you decide to give someone who doesn't have anything, double it. Because then it hurts. So I doubled it. Actually, it was my hesitation. Matt was in the car. I, I went to double what I was going to give him, and I gave him a gospel tract. And I said to that man, I said, are you going to heaven? He didn't hesitate. He did not hesitate. Wasn't even a, wasn't even a flinch. Wasn't even like a second thought process. Without even, you can ask Matt afterwards. I said, are you going to heaven? He said, no. How many here would be able to say that? No. I said to him, I gave him a track. The track was called, How Much Are You Worth? In one hand, he was holding just a cup of money. That was how much he was worth. In his other hand, he was holding a three-by-five piece of paper that told him this. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. What's the one thing that bars us from heaven? What's the one thing that bars us from heaven? Sin. Would it surprise you that that's the only prerequisite to get into heaven? Any sinners in the meeting tonight? Because that's who Christ came to save. Heaven only boasts one good man. It doesn't want a second. Heaven doesn't want a second good man. It wants as many sinners as possible. And so I would ask you tonight, Christ died for our sins. According to the Bible. Sometimes we ask our audience, did he die for your sins? I've said that to people. I said, did he die for your sins? And you ask that guy, did he? I don't have to ask you. Christ died for your sins. Christ died for your sins. 
And Christ died for your sins. I don't have to ask you. I can tell you on the authority of the Bible that Christ died for your sins. If hell's door was open tonight and I could give one word down to the millions who are in the place called hell, I could tell them, Christ died for your sins. If heaven's door was open tonight and I could talk to the millions up there, I could tell them Christ died for your sins. If I could go to the penitentiary tonight and go to, go to death row and find people who have done some of the most perverse and hideous things in this world, I could tell them Christ died for your sins. I could go to a monastery and I could tell someone there Christ died for your sins. What's the difference? <coughs> the difference is whether or not you believe it. Because if you want to get to heaven on your own, you're in for a world of bad news. Because boasting is excluded, and pride is abased, because only sinners are saved by grace. So if you want salvation tonight, if you want to be forgiven, I've been told to use all the words that I can. If you want to have peace, If you want to know God's salvation, five words. Christ died for our sins. It's according to the Bible. God has said it. God does not lie. God has said it to anyone in this meeting tonight and to everyone. And you could take that truth. You could be saved. You could know forgiveness from the God of heaven tonight. You could have peace. And it has nothing to do with what you could do. And everything has to do with what God has done and is finished and never needs to be repeated. And you could have that tonight. You could be saved. You could have it right here because Christ died for you. Let's open our Bibles uh, to the New Testament in 1 John. It's interesting how God works Uh, when even preparing for the gospel. I'm typically not a one-text speaker. I enjoy to read more and speak less. Uh, And I don't know if Dave is a one-text as well, but I have one text I want to read tonight. In 1 John. So let's look together in 1 John and chapter 5. First John and chapter 5 and verse 12. He that hath the Son hath life. And he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. I want to read that verse one more time. And if there's something that you never forget that leaves and escapes my weak lips, remember these words from Scripture. He that hath the Son, that's Jesus Christ, hath life. And he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. That's all we'll read. The beauty of the gospel that Brother Dave mentioned, of the the good news, is this simple truth. He that hath Christ hath life. The man or the woman or the boy or the girl that has the Lord Jesus Christ has life. We are born dead in our sins and in our trespasses. We're condemned already because of our sins. And the beauty when we look at the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ is that He came to die to give you life. 
And you could leave a tent meeting just like this, knowing one thing, that it's not of works, but that knowing that the work that was completed at the place called Calvary was enough for you. Jesus died. And he that hath the Son hath life. And you could have life tonight. I'm not talking, you say, well, Matt, uh, uh, Clearly, you have physical life. I'm not talking about physical life. I am talking about spiritual life. To know for certain that when you leave time, as we know it, and you enter eternity, you're going to heaven. It's the most important thing that you could know on this earth. Friend, listen, it doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter if you have a doctorate's degree or you're on the streets of New York. It wouldn't matter if you know that Christ Jesus is your Lord and Savior. You have life. Life. You know what's interesting? And Brother Dave mentioned it as he looked at Scripture and he's talking about how he sort of planned and prayed about what he was going to speak about. There's many things that we can look at in Scripture and take up truths of the Gospel. We could look at stories of Nicodemus. We could look at stories of the leper. We could take the woman at the well. We could take the man that's crucified in his sins on the cross. But every single person, regardless of their capacity, regardless of the weight of sin that they carry, whether they lied one time or they took a thousand lives, it wouldn't matter. Every single one needed Jesus Christ. Everyone. And every story that you read, there's a day that comes in that person's life when they came to realize that Christ Jesus died on a rugged cross. And He paid for my sins, past sins, present sins, and future sins. And I can rest in that work. And they came to trust Him as Lord of their life. That's the beautiful thing. It would be amazing today if you could walk out these doors and say, Matt, I have my ticket to heaven. Jesus died for me. Amazing. Not of some work that you've done, but Jesus died for me. And it's forgiven. The burden of my sin has rolled away. And I'm now accepted in the beloved. That's the message of the gospel. Those that were in their sin, they're now not in the family of sin. They're in the family of God. Not because of works that they've done, simply because of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. I flew in. Dave mentioned, uh, I'm going to touch this because he mentioned it. uh, My grace in flying in at 9 o'clock. It wasn't really that. My wife just booked a ticket and I had to leave my house at 3 in the morning to make that flight at 9 o'clock. So it wasn't my choice. But um, thankfully it worked out. It's interesting to walk through the airport and to uh, observe individuals. Uh, I love to people watch. Not that I'm critical, but I enjoy just sitting there and watching sort of the the frantic uh, personalities of some people. You know when someone has a ticket. I don't know if you can tell that. I can You know that someone has a ticket, they're arriving at the gate, maybe they're running to the gate, but they can sit there pretty peaceably because they know that they're flying, for example, from Chicago to New Jersey, and they've got that ticket to board United Airlines. It's interesting to watch the people that don't have a ticket, and they're there on standby, and they're just hoping by some uh, airline uh, (laughs) event that... Someone will come to them and say, Andrew, uh, you're on standby, but here's a ticket someone bailed out, and you can just get on it. And they're sitting there, and they're texting their friends, and they're getting on their phone, and they're looking on their computer, and they keep coming up to the girl, can I get on that flight? And they have, well, frankly, they have no hope. (laughs) They don't know they're getting on that flight. No friends say, you could know for certain, without any shadow of a doubt, that you're going to heaven, that you have that ticket. You say, well, Matt, why do you mention a ticket? I could take you to a six-year-old girl named Hannah. And that's my daughter. 
And there was one night that she was, we were praying, and I don't know if I shared this story, but we were praying, and Allison mentioned something in prayer, and I, I saw Hannah, and she started to, to shake in the bed, and she, she was very sad. And she took that pillow, and she put it over her head, and I watched her little body shake. I said, Hannah, what's wrong? We're done praying. I said, what's wrong? She said, Dad, I don't want to die and go to hell. That's it. At six. And so we prayed with her, and we left that situation, and a couple weeks went by, and she came up to me and said these words. Dad, I need to tell you that I have my ticket to heaven because Jesus died for my sins. I don't need to go to hell. And she's six. You know, I took at Okanagan, I was preaching, uh, or speaking in the, in, the, in the gospel, such as a capacity like this, in, in, in Washington State. And I asked little Hannah, and I said, Hannah, if you were to preach tonight, it was a Tuesday night. And I said, Hannah, if you had the opportunity at six and a half to address an audience in the gospel, I didn't prep her for anything. I said, what would you preach about? She said, Dad, uh, I'm going to write it out. It's six and a half. And I used it. And I wish I had the paper here. I'd show it to you. And I'd preach a six-year-old sermon, if you want to call it that. Or message. And this is what she wrote on a piece of paper. And it's here. For God so loved the world. In her little broken English. (laughs) That he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever uh, believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And I took that little piece of paper with all her crayon writing. I spoke a message from it. Because, friend, that's the gospel. It's 25 words. And it's 25 words of absolute power. It's transformed lives. It is supernaturally transformed lives. I look to a man right here in the front of our room. It's transformed your life. Amazing. That's what the God of heaven is interested in doing tonight. And he says these words in scripture. That's how God communicates to you and I. He says this, He that hath the Son... Half-life. If I asked you today, friend, are you going to heaven? You said, I have the Son. What does the Word say? You have life. Not that Matt said it, but the Word of God says it. And every single story, as we uh, hear people's testimonies, and I, if I ask Brother Andrew his testimony, and I ask Brother Henry his testimony, and, and Sister Joy, we, we hear different stories. They all have different backgrounds and where they came from. But there's one crucial thing that they'd come to, and that message would crescendo, and it would come to a rugged cross. And there's a day when they met Jesus Christ, and they realized for the first time that God so loved the world. That He gave His only begotten Son. That whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. As I speak those words, and I might not even get to my message, I might just keep repeating those words, He that hath the Son has life. Because you can have it. But as I look to that word right there, for God so loved the world, I could take you from New Jersey with eyes of faith, and I could take you to a little closet in Tallahassee, Florida in a very dark room and in a very dark place in my life as a drunken, wretched sinner. And I read those words, I had heard those words for 22 years of my life. And I came to understand one thing that night. You say, well, Matt, I've heard the word of God. I believe the word of God. I know there's a God. Friend, listen, James tells us the demons know God and they tremble. They tremble. The reason why humans don't tremble is they don't know God. And I came to understand those words just like this. And if you, friend, listen, if you have to take your eyes off the speaker and you close your eyes, you just come to the cross with me if you can. And I understood this, that God so loved Matt 
that He gave His only Son for Matt. That if Matt believes in Him, Matt will never perish. But Matt will have everlasting life. The best message on God's planet is Jesus died for me. The best message that you can understand today is He that hath the Son hath life. Not, friend, He that has a bunch of works. Not, friend, He that gave to the church. Not, friend, He that showed up and was best friends with the priest. Not, He that gave to some denomination or some entity and has some worth and people walk into the room and they see that individual and He stands supreme because He's so rich. None of that. Because if you took all your works, God says they're putrefying source. They're filthy. They stink like garbage. You say, that's horrible. But that's really what the Word of God says. That our works, because our works are filled with sinful hands, they mean nothing to God. God would say, you take your work, and you look at my work. That's Christ. That's the beauty of the Gospel. It is centered around one person, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Now we need to get through this verse. I do have some... Uh, points I'd like to just bring out in this verse. But notice number one, in this particular verse, it says, He that hath the Son, that's individual. The verse doesn't say, uh, they that have the Son. And that's true. If I looked at an audience like this and I said, those that have the Son here have life. And that would be accurate. Because this room is divided absolutely in half. It's not divided about who's rich and who's poor. It's not divided about who's smart who's not Right, because I'd be in the... Okay, it's not that. The message, the, the, the room here is divided in those that have the Son, that's Christ, and those that don't. Those that are going to heaven and those that are not. Those that have peace with God and those that don't. Those that are not going to heaven with their works and those that are going to heaven with the work of Christ. That's how this audience is separated. There are those here that are perishing and there are those that are not. Friend, listen, let me tell you if you miss the cross of Christ, you're lost. You're lost. There's a day that comes in an individual's life where they come to realize for the first time in their life that God sent the Lord Jesus into this earth. That He came as a sinless person. That He came as a sacrifice. As a substitute for your sins. And He hung on a cross. That's the message of the cross. He was nailed to a cross. He was nailed to His feet and His hands. They placed a crown of thorns upon Him. And they crucified God's only Son. God manifest in flesh. And He did that for you. All of that for you. And if we just stop there... And we just said that Christ died on a cross. We'd have no message. But the Lord Jesus Christ died. Not only did He die, He gave His life. And He was buried. And the third day He arose. And you and I today, we speak. When we take up the gospel, brethren, if you ever preach the gospel, you tell the individuals that Christ arose. He's triumphant. And He rose to give you life. And to set your path straight. It's amazing to go through life knowing that my sins are forgiven. Knowing that I can open up the Word of God and it just comes to life and He guides and directs my life. That's what God wants to do. He wants to change your life. To change the course that you're on. The broad way to the narrow way. And this verse here, He that hath the Son, is an individual verse. It's He that hath the Son. When I look in this corner, I'm not talking to Sam, I'm talking to Dave. He that hath the Son. And he that, and she that, see, he that hath the Son. That's personal. If I was to take you to um, uh, Pacific Garden Mission, some mentioned that I work down there, and I do. Uh, there are individuals, and Muhammad can attest this, in the wintertime, there's over 1,200 people there uh, that stay there overnight. It's a small, really small little city in a building. 
but there are people that have gotten saved so much so uh, I've never seen numbers under 100 uh, every single month that have professed faith in Christ now I don't know if they're all saved but they've made professions of that um, if you were to ask them and they give tours and I've given tours uh, with, with certain believers that I'm friends with and, and, and they're waiting for uh, certain points to hit they're waiting to hear a story perhaps the way that I would tell the story so I was brought up, and when I, when I got saved, I actually wrote down when I got saved and the time and everything. That's how I was brought up. I thought, well, uh, August 19, 2001, at 2 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> but these individuals, and they're telling your story, and one person that I'm with, a believer, said, will say, uh, how'd you get saved? You ever hear that? How'd you get saved? Saved from wrath to come. Saved from hell and the lake of fire. Saved from paying for your sins. How'd you get saved? And that person will start to tell their story, and I love watching this happen. Because at first the story is not the way the believer is expecting the story. And that person tells of their broken life and, and, and how God was working in their life. And you watch this shift happen. And they're here and they're here. And then pretty soon it comes here. And then there's, this, there's a part in that story that they say, I have the Son, Christ. And He died for my sins. And I can't tell you the exact day. I can't tell you the exact month. But I know one thing, that in the fall of XYZ year, I accepted Christ as my personal Savior, and I surrendered to the God of heaven with my life. And they give their life, as it were. I love hearing stories like that. Like they prostrate themselves, save me. And they're saved. And it's interesting to hear the perspectives when we speak of believers after. And I always say, well, What'd you get out of the story? He said, I don't know, there was a lot of talking, but I know one thing. Jesus died for his sins. That's what he told me. Out of all that story, 45 minutes, they just keep going with their stories, but there's that point that they get saved and they trust Christ. Has there been a time in your life, friend today, I ask you with a, with a heart of love, like a very, listen, has there been a time when you have the Son? If you left these, these meetings, and I won't ask you, I'm not into pigeonholing people, <laughs> calling them in a I will never do that, but I'll ask you this. If we were to ask the question, how are you getting to heaven? Could you say with no shadow of a doubt, I have the Son. I have Christ. I love that story what Dave said about this boy, because I told Dave, actually, after, <laughs> after we, we left, we were driving down the street, and he had just picked me up, and I said, uh, if there's a highlight to my entire vacation here, it's that moment. Now, what would have topped that moment if that man would have just knelt on his knees in the middle of the street and trusted Christ? But I loved what happened because the, the boy, he's, you, you see him and he's absolutely lost. He has no hope and he's just meandering around. And that's the world that we live in today. There's people with shattered relationships. There's people with broken hearts. And the, and, and the cause of all that, it's not where they were brought up or what part of town they were in. The problem is sin. And it's wreaked havoc. And he who sins is a slave to sin. And I'm watching this young man, probably Muhammad's age here, he's walking through the streets and I'm thinking, man, there was a day in your life when you were perhaps 12 or 13 or you never dreamt of living this way. That wasn't part of the plan. But sin came in. And death by sin, that's what the Word of God says, and the wages of sin is death. And I would have loved to get right out of the car. We couldn't. But I would have loved to get out of the car and say, listen... But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I love the fact that he was holding that heaven or hell. I said, Dave asked him the question. I don't know if Dave talked about this, but he said, uh, yeah, I got a track the other day and it was titled heaven or hell. And then Dave said, uh, are you going to heaven? He said, no. And then he took the track, how much are you worth? And then he said these words, 
I really need to get this matter settled, though. Oof. Listen, that's where God wants you. Take the walls of pride around yourself and just remove them because, friend, listen, God sees right through you. He knows what's, what the problem is. He knows what the challenges are. He knows what the obstacles are in your life. And all these sayings that him that cometh unto me, I will in no wise cast out. He wants sinners to come. And hear this verse is, He that hath the Son hath life. That's individual. Look, notice the other part because it's solemn. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. They continue down this life of death. But notice here, the time is just running, but I just want to look at another uh, little fact here of this verse. This verse has a matter of faith in it. You say, well, Matt, what's faith? Because uh, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Let me just mention just a few words of what faith is in this particular verse. First, notice, faith is a result or a conclusion. Track with me. It's the result of hearing. It's the result of understanding. It's the result of agreeing. It's the result of submitting. It's the result of accepting. It's the result of relying. Relying. You say, well, how can I have faith in Christ? Listen, you look to the cross, friend, just the way you are, and you rest in that work. And you just fall into it. And you say, yes, Jesus died for me. I am a sinner saved by the grace of God. That's what Brother Dave was talking about. I could take you to Washington State. Uh, and um, I take you to a man. His name's Jacob. And Jacob was saved out of a wicked life of sin. And for the past 11 years or so, he's been a tremendous man of God. If I could even measure up to a tenth of how this man stands as far as his testimony, uh, I'd, be very, I'd, be, I'd be thrilled. But one of the nights that we were speaking in the tent, uh, I went home, oh, to our home. We, sl- we slayed a camper. Is what we so I went to our home, and, uh, and I put my head on my pillow, and I went to bed. Jacob, who's got uh, four kids, he's adopted a couple, he's got a wife at home, he runs a dealership. He went at 10.30 at night, and he walked the streets of Okanagan. And right by the river, he walks right into the river where all the people who are homeless stay. And they do their, their uh, let's keep it here, they have their addictions, and they live there. And as he's walking, he said, Matt, I'm walking my Bible. I'm going to go spread the word. That's how he talks. I'm going to spread the word. <laughs> and he's walking, and it's 11 o'clock at night. It's pitch black. And a man comes up to him with his, his bottle in his hand. And he sees the Bible that Jacob's in his hand. He says this, Are you a praying man? What would you answer? Are you a praying man? And Jacob said, Yes, I am. I'm a praying man. He says, Is that the word of God right there? Jacob said, Yeah, this, I'm holding the Bible. He said, well, I'm done with this garbage. And he took his bottle and he threw it in the river. And he said, you get down and you pray with me. Jacob said, I have to share with him the word of God. He goes, I started to share that uh, we are in our sins. He said, listen, you stop talking. You don't have to tell me about my sins. He goes, I know my sins. And that's why I'm here is because of my sin. And that dear man, as a drunk, he was there intoxicated. He had thrown his Bible into uh, his Bible. He had thrown his bottle into the river. And he got right there, right on the ground in the middle of mud. And he trusted Christ as his Savior. That's how God works. That's amazing. I don't know if he was intoxicated, but he had been drinking. You say, well, how? He came to seek and to save them that are lost. That's the word of God. And here this story is, it's a matter, would you just trust Christ? That's what that man did. He never came to the God of heaven. He never told Jacob, hey, you know what? If I could just go back home and change and put on my suit and look pretty sharp and pretty snazzy and pull out the checkbook and there's just a couple dollars that I have and write a check to your church, your denomination, maybe I'll come to God. No, no, he just came just the way he was. Filthy. Why? 
He that hath the Son hath life. That's why. Now I'm going to try to fly back through here this message because uh, we're looking at the clock and I'm going to let you guys out on time here today. But notice this particular moment there. He that hath the Son, it's a directed moment. It's a specific moment. If I ask anyone here in the, in the audience today and I said, are you born again? Are you converted? Have you been uh, translated out of the power of darkness into the kingdom of his dear Son? Do you have a relationship, not a religion? Do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? You could say, Matt, you know what? There was a day in my life. It'd be specific. You you might not know the exact day, but you know that time in your life when you came for the first time to know your sins forgiven. You had the Son. He that hath the Son hath life. Now notice this. Uh, I want to look at one more thought. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Hath the Son, present. Hath the Son, future. It's eternal. Hath the Son, hath not the Son, present. Hath not the Son, future. That could be the destiny too. And that's a scary thought. That's a solemn thought. You know, Mr. Gates was asked a question. He talked about important questions. Mr. Gates was asked a question. And this is the question. What's the most important thing that happened to him? Now you'd think, as a man of wealth, he would say, it was the day when I accumulated $70 billion, or whatever that was. He's probably worth more. I don't know. Okay? But this is what he said with emotion. He said, my wife... You know what he's realized? Is that material wealth doesn't matter. He has something that's more important. Money can't buy his wife. He's in love with his wife. I loved his answer. He didn't tell about the business transaction. No, no, no. He's just in love with her. You know the most important day in your life? Is the day you come to trust Christ. And you fall in love with the Savior for the very first time in your life. The most important day of your life. You say, let me, let me give you one more quote. I have to. I have to because he's the current president, Mr. Trump. So Mr. Trump said on U.S. News and World Report, he said this. This is for our younger, too, that are looking at wealth and college and everything else. He said this. Measure wealth not by the things that you have, but by the things you have for which you would not take the money. Do you get what he's trying to say? In other words, you have something that's so vital, that's so important, you would never take money for it. I can tell you this, and I speak very confidently when I say this, if someone walked in the room and they said, Matt, a billion dollars and you renounce your faith, never, never, take the world, but give me Jesus. That's my saying. Okay? Because he bought me. And this earth will pass. And there's a day coming, I'll be in heaven, and it's worth more than every dollar that's ever touched this planet. You can't buy someone's salvation back. There's something that you can have tonight and you can walk out this room. You say, well, Matt, financially, I'm poor or I'm rich. But you can walk out this room infinitely rich with the blood of Christ. Covered. God doesn't look down upon Matt and see my sins. God looks down upon Matt and sees the righteousness through the blood of the cross. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. I'll end with this. A preacher once asked, uh, actually a dear friend of mine, he's gone home to heaven now. Uh, his name is Peter. And uh, he asked Peter, and I'm going to read the verse because this is the verse that he was saved with. Yes, Peter, uh, he that hath the son, Peter. Peter walked out the room and he cornered him in his little handshake. He said, Peter, he that hath the son hath life. He that hath not the son hath not life. He said, is that good enough for you? Because my Bible tells me, he said, God's satisfied. Is it enough? And Peter said, it doesn't sound like it's enough. It doesn't seem like that's enough. And the preacher said, let me read one more verse. And he read these words, verse 13. And we didn't read it together, but you can track. First John 5, 12, and 13. Here it is. 
12 says this, He that hath the Son hath life. And he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Verse 13, these, these, Here is the assurance of eternal life. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God. Listen carefully. That ye may know, know, that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. In our vernacular, I've written these words, that he that has the Son has life. And that I've written them because you can know because I've written them that you have life. The Word of God says it. Not Matt says it or Dave says it or the Midland Park Gospel Hall or the Baptist Church. No, no. God says it. And He says it in the Word. I ask you, God is satisfied. He's satisfied with the death of our Lord Jesus Christ. I ask you, are you? If you've never been satisfied uh, until tonight, what a beautiful thing to know that you could walk out these doors for the first time knowing your sins are forgiven. Knowing you have a home in heaven. Knowing that you have peace with God. Knowing that that there's not a bridge between you and God anymore. You're there, see? Through the mediator between God and man. And you know, not a religion, but you have a relationship for the first time in your life with our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray.